The University of Central Florida Office of Diversity and Inclusion brings you Matters of Diversity with Dr. V. With your host, Dr. S. Kent Butler. And our guest, UCF First Lady, Melinda Cartwright. And now, Dr. B. Hotep, and welcome to Matters of Diversity with Dr. B. Today, we have a very exciting show for you all today, and we get to bring in uh, the First Lady of UCF, Melinda Cartwright. So let me just read off her bio for you all real quick. Melinda Cartwright grew up on a farm in Northeast Iowa, and like her husband, UCF President Alexander N. Cartwright, she was a first-generation college student. She earned her two bachelor's degrees, one in music education and piano performance, and another in computer science from the University of Iowa. A music lover, that's near and dear to my heart right there, a music lover, Melinda began playing piano at, a, at the age of seven and was a member of the Hawkeye Marching Band in college. She also spent three years teaching middle school band in West Branch, Ohio, uh, Iowa, before returning to the university to complete her second degree. Her affinity for both the creative and the analytical led her to the engineering field. Much of Melinda's career has been in higher education information technology support, serving in a variety of roles for over 25 years. Most recently, as a technical project manager at the University of, at Albany, it's a SUNY school. She also served as a systems administrator, a programmer, and an instructional support specialist to faculty, staff, and students at the University of Buffalo. And an advocate for powerful and, and the power of education, Melinda is passionate with UCF's mission to increase access and opportunity for students from all backgrounds, as well as drive interest and success for women in STEM and STEAM fields. She is looking forward to learning about all areas of the university, experiencing UCF's artistic and musical events, and meeting and hosting students at the Burnett House when we get back on campus, which is coming soon, um, which is the president's home on campus. The Cartwrights have two grown children, a daughter working towards a graduate degree at Stanford and a son who recently graduated with his bachelor's degree from Cornell. So if you all would please join me in welcoming my, my guest today in honor of Women's History Month, Melinda Cartwright. Oh, thank you, Kent. Hello, hello. Like there's nothing left to say. That's. <laughs> That, that, well, it's a pretty that's impressive. It's, it's an impressive bio, and I, <laughs> I wanted to read all of it because of oh. everything that you've done, and I appreciate you being here, and I also appreciate your background. Um, <laughs> I grew up up north. We had this conversation before, yeah. And I don't miss what you have behind you, not one iota. Florida. I don't miss it either. <laughs> <laughs> so how you doing? Good, good. It's it's been a good week. Excellent. Had another week. I, I had the opportunity a few weeks ago to be part of the Order of Pegasus interviews for the student recipient. So that was just an amazing opportunity to, to meet some of our students face to face, even though it was over this format with Zoom. And then this week, 
I had another opportunity to be part of the Presidential Leadership Council um, interviews. So again, just amazing students. And yeah. I, it's the quality of our students here and how many students have such high achievements. I feel so humbled by them. They do. I, 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 was, I, did, I couldn't do it and couldn't take part in the interviews this year. Um, my schedule um, for the month of March especially has been pretty packed. And so uh, I, I really enjoyed having those, those times to sit with the students coming in, some of them nervous, some of them this, that, um, throughout that whole process. So you had fun doing that? Oh, yeah. It was a great time. It, it was great. And, you know, both pools of students, it's, they're just amazing. And I got to meet so many amazing students and they just have so many passions and they have such a great love for UCF. I mean, that's, that's yeah. the thing that we pick up wherever we go. It's, it's been kind of a strange transition because we came in and we really don't get to interact with people the way you normally would in a university yeah. environment. But the people that I have been able to interact with, it's just, you can feel the love everyone has. You know, the, the thing that's really funny about what you say is they all come in, they're so, they're bright eyed, they have such energy and it's hard. It's hard to choose amongst them, you know, cause there's only a limited number who could be on the, on the leadership council, but um, they all, you know, they bring something to the table. And so yeah. it's exciting to be a part of that process. I, I, again, I said, I miss not having the opportunity this year, but there's a great staff over there with yeah. Angela and Jermaine and all those who are helping to bring all this about. Uh, how did, how have you been able to kind of utilize the PLC um, since you've been here? So that's one of the things I do feel really bad about because of COVID. I think the experience that PLC students normally get isn't what they got this year. I, I think normally they have a lot more face time with us. They're helping us host events or, you know, host people in for athletic events, all sorts of things. And that just didn't happen this year because of all yeah. the COVID restrictions. So I feel sorry for this class of, of students that are in there. Um, there are a number who are carrying over till next year. So, you know, we'll be able to do more with them in person. Yes. But I mean, we have had the opportunity. I think Alex has met with them more than I have. We've had opportunities to meet with them during their weekly meeting time and mm -hmm. Uh, occasionally when they had events that, that it was safe for us to be there in person and at least come in and say hi quickly. And Yeah. And this coming, I mean, it was so exciting to hear the new things that are happening with the COVID vaccine. And, and you know, mm -hmm. it's encouraging to hear a May 1st date for all adults. It's, it's, yeah. it's encouraging to hear all that. Um, so maybe very soon we'll be able to, um, to capitalize on that face-to-face. -face. That's our goal. That's our goal. We're, we are so ready. It's, it's kind of strange to come into a position and, you know, we're 11 months in and we still haven't met that many people in person. I, know, and I, I, I still have a lot of people to meet. Um, you know, we've been able to meet a handful here and there in, in various ways that are safe, but um, yes. You know, normally when you come into these roles and we even spoke about it with the staff, with Crystal and Anna, and it's like, normally we would have hit the ground running just like we did in our previous role with right. big events and meeting lots of people right away the first week. So there are all these people out there that I'm still waiting to meet in person. You know, one of the great things about though this pandemic has been that you now have gotten to be innovative and find other ways to reach out. And so now 
where, yes, we want to do the face-to-face, but you've been able to kind of branch out and find other ways to kind of make those connections as well. So how has your transition been from Missouri to Orlando? Well, it, it was unique. Uh, we made the move, as you know, Alex interviewed just as the pandemic was starting. So, you know, they're celebrating all the history of one year ago, this happened one year ago, that happened. So one year ago, we were with all the rest. We, we were ready to go to the SEC tournament and watch our men's and women's teams play. I think our teams were already there. Okay. And we had our tickets. We were about to go get on a plane and go to Nashville. And then all of this just happened. Um, and everything changed. And then this opportunity came up. So um, that was wild and crazy. It, and, and, I, and I joke that my husband only gives me stressful moves. <laughs> <laughs> like it was stressful. Oh, really? We went from Iowa to New York. It was, you know, our, um, it, I, I remember going through a training shortly after I got to New York and started working. And it was like a soft skills training and talking about all the different things that cause stress in your life. And you should try and reduce stress. And I had like a whole list to tick off of all the stressful things because we changed states, we had a baby, we both changed jobs, you know, he changed from a PhD to a faculty member. It was like all this stuff that we did. So that was a stressful move. And then when we went from Albany or from Buffalo to Albany, that we were like moving, the kids were moving all over, we were moving all over. Then it was a huge move, move back to the Midwest so I didn't think any moves could be more complicated. Right. So we moved during COVID. So it was like questions, because I kept asking the moving company that was driving our truck because they were starting to say things about, you know, they're not letting cars into the state of Florida if you're coming yes. from another state. And I just kept saying, is our truck going to get in? Is our truck going to get, you know, all of our stuff, what are they gonna do? Right. Will we be able to get into Florida? So, um, so yeah, we. Yeah, my husband has a way of just like keeping me on my toes. So I don't know. I, I don't think he can top this. I hope enough. There'll be no reason to top this one, right? There'll be none. I, there, there's no plan. There's no plan. <laughs> no, 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 no. So the yeah. uh, so the, the 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 piece of the puzzle that you know one of the things that I always heard growing up behind every great man is a great woman, and um, and so. You stand here as um, the UCF's sixth first lady, right? Um, in terms of that challenge, um, he's being the sixth president. And so what's it like being uh, a first lady? Well, you know, I was kind of thinking about it this morning and, you know, I've always been a proud staff member on higher ed campuses and, you know, in IT especially, I'm support staff. So I've always been part of the university mission. Mm -hmm. And I feel like even in this role, because at Missouri, I wasn't working either. I feel like I'm still staff. I feel like I am part of this campus. I'm part of the mission. You know, my role is a little bit different than IT support, but I'm still here. You know, when you're IT, you're giving people the tools they need to be successful right, right, in right. their career. So, you know, my mission is a little bit different now. It's not necessarily the technical tools, but I try to anticipate what my end user's needs are. And I make sure he gets what he needs on time in the right delivery method. And yeah, so I'm just, I'm, I'm part of the mission and, and I really feel like I'm part of the team. I mean, we, we do stuff, I work with the team. Um, I work very closely with Crystal. So, you know, there are things that we do that 
just to make sure that he's supported or we're both supported. And, and, it's, and it's just cool because I, I don't remember what it was. We had something about a month or so ago that we kind of went around and a bunch of us had to do something. And then in the end, I was just like, I love teamwork because there were so, you know, there were a handful of us involved. And in the end, you know, we, we just performed as a team and I'm used to being on a team. And, and you know, I love our team here. It's, it's been great. It's been cool. Good. Excellent. So what's it like for the kids? How's, how has their transitioning been? Because, of course, they're moving along with you. And then now having a, a, a child that's in school across the, um, yeah. the number of states that she has to be apart from you from. What's that like um, for them having parents who are, you know, doing the things that you all are doing? Well, so our daughter is the one that's on the West Coast, and she was actually moving from the East Coast to the West Coast when we went to Missouri. So that was, you know, a little bit closer. So we knew we were going further away from her this time. Um, but we decided it was all okay because you can get a direct flight from the Bay Area to Orlando. So, yeah. so we knew that would be okay with her. And she has had an opportunity um, over the winter she, we figured out a way to give her a long enough trip here that she could quarantine from us and safely come into our environment. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it was rocky. I'm used to all of these big moves. She, we somehow managed to have her there to help. So she's kind of like, you know, she, she's my rock for the moves for giving me that support. So on this move, I did not have her, you know, awesome. we were here eight months and, and I said, well, would you like me to unpack your room? So I unpacked it for her, but I left it for her. Okay. Our son was with us in Missouri. Um, so he made the whole, he was with us. He quarantined with us all the way through January. So he was with us through the whole quarantine until this January. Um, he did the move with us. So he helped out with the move this time. Um, he's, and he's actually, he's, I think he's going to be a Floridian. He started law school up at UF. So in the fall, the poor guy was here taking law classes online. And so he was able to give us more feedback about, you know, what the student experience is online and whether or not it works. And yes. for him, he knew it was better. Plus it was, uh, it's really tough to be a first year law student. So that's why he made the move to Gainesville. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it's good. It's, we're close here. We're actually closer here than we were when he was at uh, Cornell and in New York. So he can get back here faster and easier and he never has to battle a snowstorm to come back. Um, so that's all good. And he, and he has taken opportunities to come back on weekends and, nice. you know, we, we sit with him outside and, you know, make him wear his mask if he comes around us. Right, right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. So when you um, have now had children who are grown up and have like left the nest, so to speak, do you feel like it's an emptiness for you or, or do you still, you said that you have your daughter's room still. Um, so what's that like having them really outside the house? Because I guess um, in, in, in a very real sense for, I guess, maybe the last four or five years, with the exception of this period when your son was living with you, they've been away from you all. So um, yeah. what's that like? Well, that's what it, it really, I always joked. So the house behind us in particular, that was our second house in Buffalo. Okay. And it was such a stress, that was even a stressful move. And it was two miles, but it was like, you know, moving and getting everything moved, selling a house, buying a house, doing all that. So I remember when we moved into that house, I said, I am not moving again until you two are out of high school. 
Okay. So I, I had made this prophetic statement and it turned out to be true because I didn't leave that house. And, and that's why I stayed next year in Buffalo because uh, Alex had started with SUNY system as the provost and our son had that one more year of high school and oh, okay. that, that wouldn't have been fair to make him move. Mm -hmm. So I stayed there. So that was my last house before it was supposed to be an empty nest. So, you know, we started doing all this moving. We went to Albany, we were in a rental, then we bought a house. We went to Missouri and I kept taking the, and I say, I take my children's possessions with me. So they come to visit me. I'm yeah. holding their possessions hostage, yeah. but sometimes they come back more often than I anticipate. Uh -oh. So I guess my holding their items hostage thing is really working, but <laughs> I, I don't know with, with technology and things, since it was just the four of us all those years in, in Western New York, we, mm -hmm. we've always been a very close family. Okay. And it always just feels like, you know, when we're all four together, that's when things really feel normal. Yeah. Until we get tired of each other. But yeah. So I don't know. It's that's emptiness, but it's like I keep having emptiness, but then they're back and I have their things and then there they are. So yeah, that's pretty cool. So yeah. I remember you telling me about this house and uh and the and the massive snowstorm that's behind <laughs> Um, that you are always out there with your snowblower yes. um cleaning it up. So um do, do do you kind of still have your snowblower or did you, you, no. you give that one up, period? Is that something that traveled with you? No, it did not. So, <laughs> um, so this was probably the end of February of 2015, which is when my son's senior year. And we just went through a streak where it basically snowed every single day. Every day I would come home from work. And by the end, the snowpack was so high, the snowblower could not throw the snow high enough anymore. But you know, this was all me, this was cleaning it up. And I keep leaning over so people can see the mailbox because yeah. to get your mail, you have to clear the mailbox out. And it was, you know, the driver had to get up there. But um, the snowblower did go with us to Albany and I did have, and, and I could put up a picture from the Albany house where something sort of like this happened where there was a huge storm one day and Alex was traveling. And yeah. once again, it was me and the snowblower. But I happily sold the snowblower and snow shovels and the thing that held all the shovels and a lot of that stuff to one of my coworkers at Albany. She had just oh, bought okay. a new home. And I said, you really need a snowblower for your house that you just bought. And I'm not taking this snowblower to Missouri. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so funny. So what was that transition like? And, you know, you, having someone who was raised in Bahamas mm -hmm. and then take in this snow-filled environment. Um, what was it like um, kind of dealing with that? Because I'm assuming that Iowa, right? You were you were born and raised in Iowa? Yeah. There was some snow there from time to time, I would assume. Some snow. Yeah, Iowa is more cold. Like you still get snow, but yeah. the big thing about Iowa is it gets brutally cold, Northeast yeah. Iowa, because you're getting closer to Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So you'll have streaks in, you know, January, especially where you will have the high will be below zero for a week or so at a time. And then the wind chills even lower. Yeah. So that's where Alex and I met though. So he was already, let's see. He's kind of adapted to this cold weather? Sort of, I met him, he, I think he was on his third winter. So he came in at the end of winter in 83 and we met in 86. Okay. okay. So it was about three years later. So he had sort of acclimated, but it, it was interesting. Um, so the car that he met, that he had when we met, the heater did not work. <laughs> okay. And it was winter. Yeah. 
So, and somehow still we ended up together. I get ready to say, I was going to say, and you still stayed there, huh? You still stayed with that a person without a working heater in their car. Yeah. Yeah. You could see you your other ways to keep it warm. That's okay. That's all right. Yeah. So that's yeah. pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, so was he a shoveler? Yeah. Yeah. He sho in Iowa, we only had shovels. Um, we were not big time enough to get a snowblower until we went to Buffalo. Literally, the first house, the people were selling the house to be closer to their kids. So they actually, it was part of the house deal. We bought the snowblower and the lawnmower from them because we, we did not have a good lawnmower that would really work. And uh, we just had this old thing that barely worked for us in Iowa and no snowblower at all, just probably like a shovel yeah. that we probably brought from Iowa to Buffalo. So that, that was a good thing that, that we negotiated for this lawnmower and snowblower from them. So how does a person who's so engaged in music and an avid lover of music, I'm so happy to hear that. Um, how does that person transition into a person who becomes STEM, STEM minded? Uh, I mean, maybe I see some co um, correlations there, but uh, how did you transition from being a musician to um, CS and, and being in IT? Well, I, Originally, I was going to go to school for computer science. So if you'd asked me when I was sophomore or junior in high school, because computer science was starting to be a thing, but I was in such a small school that, you know, they offered one class called computer math. And it was just basically going and playing with one of the original Apple computers. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and it was in it was in the room where they kept all of the uh, science. It was between the two science instructors rooms. So it's like where, you know, the frogs were for biology and stuff like that. It, and you had to, to compete with other people to even get time on it. So there wasn't really a lot I could do there. And then at a certain point, I, there was just a lot that happened in my family during my senior year. Uh, my dad has lots of health issues and they all kind of kicked in my senior year. Okay. So that probably contributed to me just like reevaluating and just doing a lot of, I don't know, self stuff. And, and I think at that point, I just decided, you know what, I, I think I'm going to change my mind. And I actually changed schools too. I was going to go to Iowa State. I said, I'm going to go to Iowa, which is not the family school, like all distant cousins and people who did do go to school in our family went to Iowa State. Okay. So I was a renegade by going to the University of Iowa because okay. Hawkeyes and the Cyclones, that's a thing. Alone. Yeah. So I, so I just totally flipped the page and I said, I'm going to go just because I think it was partly just, I wanted to challenge myself and see how far I could go with piano performance. And then once I got into the piano performance degree, I was like, uh Oh, I'm getting a piano performance degree. What am I going to do with this performance degree? So then I, as soon as I was qualified with the right number of hours, I went and signed up for education. So that's how I kind of ended up there. So it's kind of like, you know, when you're little, a lot of girls want to be teachers. Like when I was little, if you'd asked me, I would have said, I want to be a teacher. Okay. And then somewhere I said, I'm going to go for computer science. Then I said, oh, okay, I'm going to go to music. I'm in music education. Okay, if I'm going to do this, I would be a band director, you know, because I, I didn't, I, I wasn't as interested in teaching general music or chorus or, or, you know, an orchestra I can't, I'm not qualified for. Yeah. So I just got, and I always liked band and band director. So, you know, I just kind of did that. But it, at a certain point, I, I realized that um, it was good, but I knew there were other people that loved that profession a lot. 
<laughs> and, how, and, and I thought, you know what, I, I think, so I went back and I started taking the computer science courses. I took the first one between my uh, second and third year of teaching because we were back in Iowa City. And uh, I said, okay, I'm gonna try this, you know, and, and I already considered myself old. I think I was what, 23? I'd been out for a year and I already decided I was old uh -oh. and this was going to be a challenge. We send to women, right? That, you know, oh, I guess I'm imagining that during that time, it was like, oh, you need to be married soon and you need to start thinking about a family and all this other stuff. So I can imagine that that's playing in your head as well. Well, even though we got married really young, to me, it seemed old because I think my mom was married by the time she was 18. Oh, wow. So, so she got married instead of going to college. That was kind of like her parents gave her a choice. They said, you can get married or you can go to college, but we're not paying for both. So she chose getting married. And by the time she was, gosh, I think she was done having kids. She, there were three of us and she was done having kids by the time she was 22, 23. Oh, wow. So, you know, I thought I was old because I just got married by the time she was pretty much done having kids. So then, you know, it's just in your perception, it just depends on what your background is, what you come from and what other people do. You know, you, you bring up something that's really interesting because those are the messages that we get, right? And yeah. in terms of that, we, we, we're learning these lessons from our parents and, and people who are in our lives. And so for that message to come to you that you might be old at 23 is, is really... Yeah. You know, that's a that's an interesting thing that we as youth go through. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because I think it's um it's important in terms of how we kind of grow. And you know, this being Women's History Month, is there something about your story that resonates with you, especially just saying that out loud just now? Um, that the difference between how your mother entered into her adulthood and how you entered into yours? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's, so she's, she's a Midwestern farmer. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, she wasn't given the option, like her parents didn't give her the option. And that was just one of those things, like everybody was short on money. So like each generation, our decisions are made based on what our parents can help us do so that's about all her choices really were wow but then she she fully invested like she actively farmed like some farm wives or you know all farm wives take on different roles but my mom was always a big part of the operation so mm. you know from my perspective she always worked full-time okay. right because she she worked full-time the same way his dad did Okay, okay. I mean, they're, they're farmers and it's, it's a very time consuming and they always had livestock when I was growing up, which, you know, that doesn't go away. It's, yeah. it's there and you need to care for it every day. What was your role? What was your role on the farm? Well, so I'm the youngest of three and I have two older brothers. Uh oh. So by the time I came along, um, there wasn't a need for me to go outside and do all the manual physical labor because there was already both of my parents and my brothers doing mm. a lot of that stuff. So, um, so my role was more in the support stuff. So I would do things in and around the house. So like, you know, lawn, I've got a lot of time in on riding lawnmowers, uh, doing <laughs> our lawn, both grandparents' lawns, pretty much I would mow, it would take two days to get ours done. And it was a pretty big mower. 
one day for one grandparent, haul it to the next grandparent, one day for them, and then you're pretty much back to doing the first one again. So that's my summers. Oh. Um, but when they were doing things, so if they were bailing hay, doing whatever, my mom would queue up all of the stuff to be done, like the food and things, and she'd get all the laundry sorted and just like, okay, so, you know, I would be doing laundry, hanging on the line, cleaning the house, cooking whatever food she had laid out. She might come in in between and do something else really quick. Um, she had a huge garden when we were growing up. Um, so what my grandmother would come over, you know, my mom would go out, pick it, put it in the refrigerator. And then grandma would come over and grandma and I would work everything up to be canned later in the day. And then at night, mom would come in and can all of this stuff. So it's like, you know, it was this whole process. I can imagine those are great memories uh, to have. Do you miss riding on that lawnmower? Uh, a little, I mean, it was kind of cool when we, <laughs> when we bought our house in Albany, because uh, remember I said we rented one and then we bought one. We mm -hmm. actually bought a house that had a big enough lot that it needed a riding lawnmower. So we did the same thing. We negotiated with the people we were buying from and said, Ken, or did we do it there? Or Alex may have gotten it somewhere else. Okay. I, I can't remember where he got that lawnmower, but we did, we had another riding lawnmower. And, you know, there's something about, cause that's what I do a lot of my thinking, oh. you know, how people have different times where it's just like quiet and you're doing mm -hmm. your thinking and it may be driving or whatever. So, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of my thinking and stuff would happen when I was riding a lawnmower. So. So yeah, we had one again in Albany and we sold that too, because, uh -huh. but that was a pretty big lot there. So it only took about two hours. That was a much faster lawn. Oh, there's, a, there's a big lot over there at the Burnett house, isn't there? Uh, this is probably, uh, maybe this is the size of what it was, but there's not as much grass here. I'm just messing with you. I was going to be yeah. like, you know, do you want to get a lot of lawn just for the fun of it? <laughs> Oh, I'll hop on a lawn. Oh, yeah. I'll, I'll volunteer if somebody has. I, I mean, that's all fun stuff to do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, Just I, as long I, as I don't have to do it every week. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, so you, um, you have a strong interest in women in STEM. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your hope for women in STEM field and, uh, and what you hope for the future? Yeah, I mean... I would love it if it could become more normalized for women. And, and it extends beyond STEM fields. I mean, they're even, even in the arts, just every field, there are just some fields that feel like, you know, one gender dominates one field more than another, right? And because there, there are fields that women dominate, that there's no reason, like nursing, or, you know, in the engineering world, it's biomedical engineering tends to be more women and mm -hmm. electrical engineering tends to be more men. And it's, yeah. you, you just get so much more out of your teams and your collaborations when you, you have people from all sorts of different backgrounds and different genders and things. But, you know, in, in my field in particular, part of my experience was, you know, I computer science degree worked in backend support staff but even within IT at, at the campuses that I was on, there were even more women in certain areas than others because you know, there's different support groups within an IT organization. So um, like programmers and developers, there are a lot more women that are programmers and developers. So when you go and look at the numbers in that part of the field, 
you will see a much more even number of men and women. So I wasn't a programmer and developer. Um, I was more back in. There are areas in IT that there needs to be more women that. Yeah. What would it take to kind of break that glass ceiling? I don't, you know, I don't know. It's tough. There was some conference that Alex went back to way back in the 90s. It was probably 97, 98. And I was talking about women in STEM fields and IT and, you know, why women drop out. And, um, and I don't know if the data has changed, but I think one of the things was that, that women, like we find a lot more success in high school, you know, because maybe women work, you know, as we're growing up, it's, it's not such a bad thing. Girls are okay doing well and girls usually do well. And then what they found in that study, what was happening is when they got to colleges and universities, a lot of the male students who maybe hadn't applied themselves as much growing up and in high school were applying themselves more. So all of a sudden the women didn't understand it was, maybe it's because the men are applying themselves more they didn't understand that that's what happened because they thought, well, I was always smarter than the men and now I'm not. So therefore I should not be in this field and they drop out. You, or maybe it's because they're not comfortable. Can yeah. you speak on that? You know, that, that seems pretty profound to hear that, that you say, I used to be smart, but maybe I'm not that smart anymore. Where did we hear those messages? How do we get those messages ingrained in us? I don't know. I mean, it can come from your growing up too, right? Because and, and it depends on which generation you grew up in because we all grew up with those different paradigms, but I don't know, I'm probably my own biggest critic, but, but I, you know, I also felt like I was always working hard looking for those compliments. And maybe at the time I wasn't, was growing up, maybe, you know, people weren't as likely to give you that. So I just always felt like I was working to get that. But at a certain point, I think I was okay with, you know, like for me, once I did go back, because I was always, I always liked math and science growing up. And I, you know, I made that detour through the arts. And then I came back to the math and science because I always loved it. Um, but I guess it didn't really bother me. I mean, I noticed the ratios when I was in classes and it was awkward. And I knew the ratios were going to be off because Alex was in electrical engineering and his study group, there were like maybe five women in his class and two of them were in a study group, something crazy like that. Um, so I knew the numbers weren't be up, but I guess I, it, it was weird, but I guess I just didn't let it bother me. I was just kind of like, okay, whatever. These are classes I'm interested in and I'm going to be fine. And it was the same way when I went to work too. I was just always like, okay, it's, it's fine. So as a first lady, is there a platform that you could have that could help to kind of change that narrative, um, especially if that's one that UCF is kind of struggling with in terms of women in STEM? Is that something, you know, well, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what the role of a, a, a first lady is per se. Um, I know you have multiple opportunities. Mm -hmm. You do outreach, you, you're a part of what's going on within the presidential realm, mm -hmm. important in, in, in that capacity. But is, are there messages that, or are there platforms that you can have that help to kind of, you know, bring forth your own message and things that you want to bring forth um, um, while you're here at UCF? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, really, all of us who are in this role, because um, I have a lot of peers who are in this role at other universities, and um, men and women, and you know, we do collaborate, we talk, we share what we're doing, um, and and a lot of us do gravitate towards our own interest, and 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 honestly, like how much we do with the role is really up to us, because um, most universities, it's not a predefined thing, so it's really our passions that keep us going, and it's you know our love of our universities. So um, it's just a time thing, like deciding how much I can give to each of the different things I need to do. But I, I certainly am, you know, interested in helping with STEM. And, you know, I have spoken with people about, and, and even I believe STEAM saying it that way, because there, there does need to be some support for the arts too in that STEM or STEAM, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I was yeah. wondering, I was gonna ask you that. And I'm glad you yeah, brought that up. STEAM is the arts part, uh, yeah. Okay, nice. Nice, nice, nice. So, do you? You said you played. You learned how to play the piano. Yep. You still play? Well, so exciting news! I have not had glasses that I can see the piano music properly. So, at some point, we started moving, and I was not getting the right glasses. And all the glasses I've had, I have not been able to see the music clearly until this week. So, these I just got for the computer. And I was, and we were trying to get them right so that they would work for the piano music too. So oh, cool. I can see my music clearly again. It doesn't mean I'm going to play for other people, but <laughs> I can see you to play for me. <laughs> so my daughter is eight years old and we started her on piano um, probably really young actually, because um, I have keyboards and I always have had a dream to want to play the piano uh -huh. and I've just never been able to do it. I just have not. And I think that's an excuse, of course, but I could find the time probably if I if I really dedicated myself to it. Um, and then I, I'm getting to the point where I hope that I can get, I'm not getting arthritis or any of those other things in my fingers that I can, but I, I really want to learn how to play the piano, but I, I live through her, right, in terms of doing that. How have you been motivated to continue on, especially when you were young, learning how to play the piano? You said you started at seven. Um, she is eight and it's a struggle to get her to want to play the piano. Um, you know, and yeah. I think that you have to have the passion, right? In order yeah. to, I don't want to force it on her, but how do I keep her, or what are some things that might be able to keep her motivated hmm. to want to play the piano? I hadn't really thought about that, but it probably goes back to the same thing I said before, where I just kind of like, even being the piano major and doing that, that in a way that was selfish, that was for me. Okay. So it, it had to be for me. So when I was growing up, my mom always wanted me to play for people. So my mom wanted to play the piano. And again, it was one of those things that they couldn't afford to have a piano. Okay. So, you know, she played sports and learned to twirl baton. I think that was cheaper. Um, <laughs> but she wanted to play piano, which is why she got a piano for us. But she always wanted me to practice and play in front of her. And even to this day, I still don't like to play in front of them. So I, if I was playing and practicing, I would do it when people were out of the house. Oh, wow. It was for me, you know? Because yeah. I, I didn't, I, I think it was just that I felt the pressure. Mm. Other people were around. So it was, if it was just for me. Yeah. Because even now, I mean, there, the, the, the Steinway, there was a Steinway here previously and it's back. And I was very happy to find out there was a Steinway for, for that spot over there. So, um, yes. 
yeah, it, it spoils you. Once you play a Steinway, you just, oh, well, as, a, as a music major, our studios had Steinways in them. Well, maybe I'll get there one of these days. Yes, um, yes. you, you can play on the Steinway. Yeah. But, oh, but even yeah. still, I like to play it when it's just me. When other people are around, it's just, because, you know, I just want to focus on, and if I start to play and the family's around, they start yeah. walking through the room, they start talking to me, and oh. I'm kind of like, yeah. I'm playing. I know, it's like, I'm playing, I can't move the piano. It's really big. This is where it sits. I cannot pick it up and take it outside. Can you just, you know, move along? You have to work on that with them. Tell yeah. them, stay out of the space right now. Yeah. So have you ever written your own music, your own uh, composition or anything along those lines? Well, as a music major, Okay. You, you you do write some things. So, okay. you know, when they're when you're first a music major, you go through and, you know, all of the basement fr uh, freshman and sophomore music classes. So you do a little basic writing and they give you outlines of how to do it. And then um, later on, because I was going to be a band director, then you can take arranging courses. Okay. So um, there was one and I can't remember if maybe Myron Welch taught it or Morgan Jones. It, anyway, whoever taught it, I, I took the arranging course and um, I must've been taking it in spring of my junior year. So they, they teach you how to take a piece of music and you arrange it so that a band can play it. Okay. Um, so they, let, they asked me to arrange a piece for spring game for the marching band because marching band goes out and plays for spring game. Right. So I'm so excited and I have a recording of it and everything. I, I did the arrangement for Let It Snow and we played that at spring game one year. Oh, pretty cool, pretty cool. Yeah. So I'm, I'm assuming that you have to have like an analytical mind to, to write music or maybe I'm playing around with words that I don't know well. Yeah, well there is, yeah, it's very mathematical. There's a big, big crossover between math and music and engineering um, and you will find um, probably, well, we have lots of engineering students here anyway, but you're always going to find lots of engineers in your musical performing groups. And they're, they're usually really good performers too. Mm -hmm. um, th there's just so much in common. Uh, so, but yeah, when you're writing music and you're doing this stuff, it is all mathematical. Okay. So it actually, you know, if you're taking music, it just strengthens your math. It's like the, these things strengthen each other. So it's really it's best for everyone to, to have that broad education because it brings together so many different areas. So as, as being a part of a band mm -hmm. help change your, the musical genre of music you like? Cause I heard you say, let it snow. And, that, and yeah. I can imagine how that you, you, you have to think differently when you're trying to arrange that, but you know, your love of music, is it inspired? in different directions or is it eclectic or, or any of those different things because of the type of music you studied or, or is it just a love of music regardless? No, you can listen to jazz and classical and yeah. uh, hip hop and R&B and, and um, country. Uh, how does that work? Well, we do and, and Alex is very passionate about it too. We listen to all sorts of music um, it may affect how I listen to music because I did go through all the, the music ed classes and the, you know, um, ear training courses and there are certain things you learn to listen for. So you'll notice sometimes when I'm listening to uh, orchestral pieces, you know, you can hear stuff because it's very traditional. So there, there are literally musical jokes that are written in. So if you know what you're hearing and you're listening for, you might go, aha, 
that was pretty funny. They just did that little thing there. Are you serious? Oh yeah, there, there, there. Yeah, there's stuff that's unexpected. So you, yeah, because so as a as someone who may not have been through that, you would just go, oh, that was kind of cool. That was kind of cool. Yeah. Okay. So there's like you know sometimes a piece doesn't end the way you think it was supposed to end. They might end it a little bit different, but yeah. it, but that's to make you do that. So they're looking for that response. Oh. Yeah. So as a composer, you can put that in there as a response. And you can do that as a performer too. Okay. Right? Because I remember when I was in high school, we always had these um, uh, just like a, a variety show thing and you would yeah. have to audition and you, you know, and I would go participate and play in whatever groups and do things. But I remember one year um, I auditioned a piano solo. So of course they picked me because there were a few of us that just really played piano in my school. Yeah. And I and I remember, and it was one of the first times that I realized how much I could affect people emotionally with music because I played, um, do you remember Brian's song? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. right, about Brian Piccolo? Yes. So it was a piano solo, and so I played this for the variety show, and there were two nights of variety show, so I think I pretty much got the same response both nights because you can manipulate the audience and their feelings with how your performance goes. So the end of the song, it just like ends very kind of slow and very soft and you know and it's kind of been an emotional journey yes. so that when you end and you play the last chord nobody's breathing nobody's applying it's just you can feel everyone just in the emotion yeah and i know exactly what you're talking about because that yeah. was a tough movie to watch and the music yeah. was, and, and the, the movie the music underneath that that's mm -hmm. when he when he passes away um was absolutely, you know, was mesmerizing, mesmerizing in some. Yeah. Way. Um, you know, it's really funny. I was listening to you say that, and and you know, I used to feel some kind of way. Like I would go to concerts and I would hear someone play something. You know how artists would be? They playing around with it, like you're just talking about it. Yeah. Now it's Making me understand it differently. That they're musical jokes, yeah. uh, musical riffs, or whatever they do. But I remember like. You hear these songs on the radio or whatever have you buy these albums and things and and the music and you're so used to hearing it one way mm -hmm. right so you've learned it this way yes and i remember going to a concert and they would like slow the tempo or make the tempo go fast and yeah. or whatever have you and i would sit there like no don't do it i want you to play it the way that i know it yeah but now i get it I, yeah you, I remember, I remember going through that too, but there's just so much more, but when you're a live performance is so much better. And especially, you know, when people are really good performers and they're really good live, because now you're a part of it. You're a part of the performance yes. as the listener. And, you know, that's what they're trying to do. They want to make you a part of it. And it, it's much more successful if you're a part of it. You walk away with it differently, right? In, in terms of like, they, they, you perform it. And it's like, I want you to sing my favorite song. or I want you to play my favorite song. And then when you change it up, you're, 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 you're still talking about it after, right? Yeah. You, yeah. you made someone think beyond just the concert experience or whatever. Yeah. You, you, you are now made yeah. that music live in them a different way, mm -hmm. so to speak. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, well, and even with the other thing that happens now with so many people covering other people's songs, mm -hmm. or even like when Lady Gaga went through and she did, uh, was it Born This Way? She did like so many different versions of. 
I, I, I know who she is, and I know what yeah. I know that song. Yeah. I don't, know the, I don't know the versions. I know that I know that one version. I know the, the one that they played on the radio. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to remember if that's the right song, but there was at least one of her songs in particular that just had so many different arrangements or you know, just oh, different wow. ways to perform, different tempos, different, wow. you know, different instrumentation, things like that. Because it, and that's it was always fun. We used to watch American Idol a lot when it first oh. came on and the kids yeah. were but it was so cool because you could pick out who was going to be good because they were singing no well-known songs, but they were doing their own interpretation on it. So, you know, like the big season for us was Carrie Underwood and just seeing what she even did there and, you know, how she's gone on as a performer, but just, wow. yeah, just, it's, it's so cool. I, I think we can do that more now, but I'm totally with you. I remember when we were young and you just knew the radio version. And I do remember being irritated when it wasn't the radio version. Yeah. And then, then I got to the point that I appreciated. It's like, oh, but I really don't want it to be the radio version because I don't want you to lip sync. I want you to perform it live. I want you to be a true artist. Yeah. And I think that's what they mean when they say a true artist. A true artist, yeah. And, yeah. I, and I get that and I agree. Yeah. I, that's why I do, I love live performance. I, I do yeah. miss the live performance. So. Does having a music background make you a music snob? And when I say that, I don't mean that in a bad way. What I mean is like, because of it, when you hear people do things and maybe you hear a mistake or you hear whatever have you, are you more critical of people um, who are performing or do you understand when like someone makes a, a faux pas or a, a misstep, you know? Uh, somebody's singing and they're off key for half a second or something, you know, do you pick up on those things? Uh, it can be painful. <laughs> <laughs> Someone singing off key can be painful. <laughs> I try not to visibly cringe, but usually they're not close enough to me that they would notice if I'm cringing, but yeah. That's hilarious. I did. Okay. Okay. But I mean, it doesn't mean, I mean, some stuff you can pick up and some stuff you're just like, oh, well, maybe it's really written that way. So then I sit and I listen for a while. And I always remember our son, he's so funny. Um, he, both our kids have stayed performing even in college. I mean, he's not now, but as an undergrad, he was. But it was always so funny because at the end of it, we would go to his orchestra concerts. And at the end, he would say, well, what did you think of this? Or what did you think of that? Because he wanted, you know, he knew I was probably actively listening. So even though the pieces, I was never in orchestra, but some of the pieces I was more familiar with, or I at least right. knew a lot of music from that genre in that period. So um, I would listen to it differently. So he always, and, and it made me feel good because he, you know, I think he honestly wanted my opinion. Okay. But then there's like the flip side. So the thing of listening for mistakes. So I just have to tell my brother would you know at recitals and things he afterwards he would come up to me very somberly and tell me how many mistakes I made you know and and then eventually one day he admitted to me he was just making it up <laughs> <laughs> that's funny but that's gonna mess up your whole self-concept about me yeah I had one of those families that could just mess up your self-confidence all the time so oh my god so, you know, that, that is so interesting. So you could actually go to a concert and not enjoy it, sitting next to a person who doesn't have that ear, who enjoys it immensely, just because of your understanding of music. 
Yeah, sometimes if you know too much, it's not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, it can. Yeah. Like if it's bad, yeah, if it's bad, I, I, yeah, I, and yeah, and I'm not going to try and bring you down. I'm going to let you enjoy it, but yeah, I might be cringing inside. Yeah, that, you know, you know, every once in a while, you can't imagine that every person has a, everybody's day is going to be a good day. You hope that they can be right. able to bring it 100% each time, but mm -hmm. wow. So yeah. yeah, I don't know, um, I don't have that kind of a musical background. Mm -hmm. Um, so I guess I, I I don't I don't envy that in some regards. But I know the thing that's really interesting is I don't know the difference between. So remember when albums were the thing, and and then all of a sudden CDs came about, and people were like, mm -hmm. "Oh, you got to have a CD." And the CD is so much it's crisper. It's this. It's that. And you know you can hear the sound so much better. And I'd be like, "It sounds the same." I mean, whether I'm playing yeah. it on the album or this. To the point where I heard that, and I don't know how true this is, but they would they would put sound effects into a CD so that it resembled what an album would sound like if you were playing it with a needle. Really? Yeah. And I guess so, I never heard that part. There is so, a difference. I'm sorry. There is a difference. You see the difference? Yeah. It's it's the noise. It's yeah, there's a lot of noise reduction and it would be like, and the engineer's not here to talk to about it and he's really a light guy, but you can, yeah, there, there's some noise and stuff that just, it, it just, it's so much more clear and crisp and true to what the performance really was when you go to, you know, the CD or DVD or Blu-ray or whatever, you know, yeah, technology's improved. There's like a scratch. You don't hear that little scratchy. I don't know that I hear it. I don't know that I hear it. I do, you know, I still have albums. I have to do that. I will have to do a test because I never sat down. But I've, I've always heard people who are into music who say, oh my God, it's like light years between what an album is and this. But then I hear people saying, I want to go back to my albums, you know? So it's, it's interesting. There's well, there's plus and minuses to both. So I, I thought we were totally done with albums. Turntable was gone and everything. And then, you know, danger, the kids could drive themselves after school. They go over to Goodwill and come home with a pile of vinyl. Yeah. So then we end up buying a turntable again, you know. I have uh, over on the table there is my, um, I have, it's covered with the flag, but it, it's a little turntable. Um, that I purchased some time ago. I, I, I like to listen to music that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I, I think there's nostalgia there for us, right? Because we're yeah. kind of the ones that we grew up with it that way. And then we went through the transition as opposed to our kids who've only, you know, they were here after that transition of technology. Yeah. Yeah. So we like, you know, we're a weird generation where we got to live through all of it. So, you know, we understand black and white TV. I understand I am the remote control. <laughs> like, you know, all of this stuff. Like, it, up and change the channel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so, you know, we're kind of yeah. this weird generation. I think we're about the same generation where we just like, we got to see all of this technology. Yeah, um, in our I, I was able to transition from having the wall phone. With the dial. And ask permission to use the phone. To having the cell phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The wall phone with the dial, the long cord, and the party line. And my grandparents. Oh, the party were, line. I didn't know about yeah. The party. We had a party line. Yeah. So, so, yeah. I didn't enjoy that one. I didn't, I didn't have yeah. that in my life experience. So, the party line is I, I remember watching a Lucille Ball show where she was doing an episode where she, 
if somebody's on the call, you have to wait for them to be off. And then yep. she would be on one episode, she's like really upset. You gotta go, I need to make a call. I need to make a call, something like that. <laughs> so that's- Yeah, it, that's it was not good. But, and, but yeah, one of my sets of grandparents were on our party line. So it made it complicated to call them. So I literally, to call my one grandmother, I had to like dial her number and then hang up the phone. And I had to keep my hand on the phone and keep feeling for when it stopped ringing on the other end because then I knew she answered. <laughs> so you could feel like the vibration of the phone ring. It is, yeah, it was weird having a party line. Wow, that's that's pretty cool. You, you made me think of some things that I haven't thought about in a long, long, long time. Uh, I'm making myself feel old here. Maybe I oh, should. Oh, no, it's not, it's not that at all. It's not, please, please don't. Um, because I mean, I look at you and I'm just like, really kids in college? Um, so well, and back at the beginning, we were talking about that and getting married and getting married young. So my sister-in-law, who is basically my age, maybe six months younger, did the same thing as my mom, where she immediately married my brother out of high school. So my nephews are in their thirties. Oh wow! And and my kids are in their mid twenties, and I waited a, a while to have my sister. So I could have thirty. Are close to thirty are in their thirties, and I have an eight-year-old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I get it. I understand. Yeah, I it's just like it's a weird spread. Even though my brothers and I are close as close in age, it's like my kids are a little bit younger than some of their cousins. Some of them are the same age. Yeah. Wow. Well, that quickly we've come to the end <laughs> of the hour, and I can't help but thank you so much for for being a part of the conversation and um, sharing your knowledge of the stem field and your music and just everything that's going on all that snow behind you um, <laughs> all that and so I appreciate you taking the time out to kind of hang out with us here um, and I wish you much success moving forward uh, especially with the PLC is coming I think that this pandemic is going to be behind us soon enough so you can kind of experience all the wonders of, of being the first lady here at UCF. So, so I thank you. Thank you for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Good, good, good. We'll have to have you back for sure. <laughs> uh, we, um, on next Wednesday, even though it's still Women's History Month, I got to figure out a way to kind of pull it in, but we have our AD coming, Terry Mahaja. Ah. My guest next Wednesday. And so we're excited about that. And um, so, Hopefully, um, maybe I can get him to bring a coach or someone um, from one of the other sports teams to kind of come in and be a part of the, the, the show as well. But we're going to have, um, have him here, and I'm excited about getting to know him and meet him and, and hear what his vision is for the university. So, Oh, that should be terrific. That should be the show on Wednesday. So, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, I also want to thank the UCF Foundation Office for supporting us and helping us to kind of put this together and um, and we'll see you next time. All right. Thank yeah, you. Thanks. I appreciate you. Thanks, Kent. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to our show. This has been Matters of Diversity with Dr. B.